The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Please turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 10. And as you do, I want to turn back to an Egyptian poem that was written near near the time of Moses, possibly. There's some debate and there's some question on the date of this Epur papyrus. But the official records of the pharaohs don't, don't record their defeats. So this is one of the questions of archaeology. But this papyrus, the copy we have, was dated maybe to 1250 B.C., but is definitely referring to an earlier time. There's an Egyptian citizen who, who wrote some interesting things. One of the things he wrote is, Plague is throughout the land. Blood is everywhere. The river is blood. Lo, many dead are buried. Trees are felled. Branches are stripped. Birds find neither fruit nor herbs. Lo, grain is lacking on all sides, which was yesterday's scenes. It sounds like in a, in a day so much of their grain was wiped out. All is ruin. Much of what we're going to read about today has those sort of details. There's plague. The, the water had already been turned to blood, as we've seen. There, there's many dead who are going to be struck dead in the, the plague that we're going to read about. There's many more in the final plague on the firstborn. But trees are going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be stripped bare. There's going to be no, nothing left in the fields of, of grain. And even that language of all is ruin is... In Exodus chapter 10, verse 7, very similar to the language of what they're going to tell Pharaoh. Everything is ruined. And this is true history. But the question before us that that I want us to consider today is, what is the purpose of it all? What's what's the why of, of these sort of events? What is the so that, so that what would happen? Look with me at Exodus 9. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, and that so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the plague or when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared The word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into their houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So these would be Egyptian slaves and and many of them and their animals were left in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward Egypt so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, 
This time I have sinned. The Lord, he's using the the proper name Yahweh, is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord or beg Yahweh. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail. So that, here's this so that statement again, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. In other words, they're about to come, so they weren't destroyed. So Moses went out from the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that, here's another statement, I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Laura Ingalls Wilder tells a story of their prairie house ruin in the, on the banks of Plum Creek. She tells a story when she was outside and all of a sudden something hit her head and she looked at it and it was, it was coming down like, like hail. She said the cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud, she realized, was grasshoppers. And, and, and they, it became dark as they covered the sun. And they began to cover everything. And it, she said it was the noise of like a hailstorm. And she tried to beat them off, but they would cling to her skin and her dress. And, and Mary ran screaming into the house and... And Laura, she came, they're all over the place, she's stepping on them, and they're, they're crunching, and they're slimy and squirming under her feet, but worse than that, they ate everything. She could hear, she could hear this buzz while they were just immediately destroying and eating everything around them. All the garden, all the prairie grass, there wasn't a green thing in sight when they were done, and it was amazing how quickly the weed and oats and everything was gone, and so... There, this, is, this is her true story telling this. Her pa headed back east to find work. He would have to walk hundreds of miles. He would be gone for months. But Ma, during those difficult days, continued to read the family Bible. And one Sunday, she read to them, and she read to them about the plagues that we just read about, that were throughout all the land of Egypt and And Laura said, as she heard throughout all the land of Egypt, she was thinking, and throughout all the land of Minnesota, where they were, how true that was. And then Ma read the promise that God made to his people, and they claimed that promise. They prayed. They turned their hearts to God. They trusted that God would deliver them. And their farm was spared. 
rain came in and, and, and things began to be restored after that. She never forgot that. If you've ever seen anything like that, you'll never forget it. I remember driving across the United States one time and there was a, a time where we had to stop because the freeway was completely covered. I didn't know what it was, but it was these these locusts just all over the place and it was a thick black layers thick and it, it, it stopped the you couldn't drive or, or do anything. I, I've also seen storms. I don't know if you've seen massive hailstorms or thunder and lightning. And, and I remember as a kid being shaken to my core. Sometimes I remember one time lightning came down just near us, and, and it. I literally jumped. I went airborne, and I was just the the power of the storm. There's there, there's something about things like that that should make us. Think of God. And I remember in that instant, I was praying to God. I thought I was going to die. Here's from the 2001 Times of London. Plagues of locusts are devastating crops from Asia to the American Midwest. And, and this article in the Times of London said, Not since the Egyptians incurred the wrath of God have so many locusts had their day. Sending farmers to the book of Exodus for salvation. That was what that article said there's something about storms and even our secular world and still in some places calls them acts of God that are to get our attention and, and should point us to him and, and God is on a mission through these things here and his mission statement not just for the plagues but really his mission for the planet is what he says so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth that's why he's doing this Everyone on earth needs to know there is no one like him on earth. Everyone on earth needs to know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. From the land to the livestock to the lightning to the little bugs to the life in the river that he can take away as he did earlier in the plagues. God is the creator of all. He is the controller of all. He is the judge of all the earth and he is the savior of all on earth who will humbly, truly repent and come to him. That's the message of this. These acts of God should turn our attention to God. And there have been acts of God that, that we see today as well. And when we see those, we should turn our attention to God, that God later told Israel. So this wasn't just about when they were in Egypt. He says, I struck you with hail, yet you did not turn to me. In other words, you should have turned back to me. You should have thought of me in that. And, and he said, when I command locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and will seek my face and will turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. Joel chapter 2 tells Israel, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And it goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's quoted in the New Testament by Paul and Peter. So my title today is God's mission in your heart. And I'm using that phrase, your heart, because God says in to Pharaoh in chapter 9, verse 14, look at it. I will send all my plagues on you yourself. The ESV footnote says, literally, on your heart. It's on your heart that this is now coming. New King James says, to your very heart. God is sending the full force of his plagues and his power now on your heart. And remember, ten times in this story, it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. It mentions he hardened his own heart. God hardened his heart. We'll talk more about that later. Judgment now is coming on his heart. And it said earlier, when the Nile turned to blood, he did not even take this to heart. And now judgment is falling, and he gives a warning on how they can be spared if they'll bring their, their, their people and their animals out of the field if they'll take that warning to heart, there's mercy even for them. And in verse 20, some of them do in chapter 9. In 
verse 21, but even as Pharaoh was judged, some of his servants are going to be spared as they fear God's word. But God had said earlier in chapter 7, he's doing all this so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. The Egyptians, it's not just about Israel. This is so the Egyptians will know who I am when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring them out. And so this is a, a bigger purpose than just bringing people out. He's, he's wanting the Egyptians and he's wanting, now he says, the earth to know his name, to know who he is. And so Walt Kaiser wrote, if knowing God's name is the mission, chapter 9 says, then these ten plagues also have an evangelistic purpose. And there's a book called The Missionary Heart of Exodus that explains this. If, if Israel's liberation was, was just the main issue here, the narrative could have quickly moved from chapter 5 to chapter 14. But there's a lot spent on getting them out of here after that's announced. God could have just brought them out without all of this but he says chapters 7 through 9 in particular show a fundamental mission orientation to the entire plague cycle. And so chapter 9, verse 16, this is the purpose or the mission statement. To show my power, God says, and so that my name would be proclaimed in all the earth. And it starts here among the Egyptians, even some of the servants of Pharaoh. We're going to see in chapter 18 an an Arab pagan priest says, I know now that God is greater than any other gods because of what he's done in Egypt. They're going to go into Canaan later, and, and Rahab is going to convert to faith when she sees them. She says, I know that there is no one like Yahweh because of what I heard he did in, in Egypt. And it's beginning here. And so I want us to see the mission. Understand the mission is about God's worship. That'll be our first point. And then the mission depends on sovereign mercy. And then thirdly, the mission is to proclaim his name. This is a mission for all of us, but it starts first and foremost, it's about God's glory. It's about his, his name going forth to all the world. I love how John Piper begins his book on the supremacy of God in missions. He says, missions, as important as that is, is not the ultimate purpose of the church Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't in, in some parts of the world. Worship is what will abide forever. Worship is ultimate because God is ultimate and, and not man. But missions is a temporary necessity. Worship is going to abide forever. This is what gets us to worship God. This is incredibly important to God. All through the narrative, he's talking about, let my people go that they may worship me or serve me. And this needs to be important to us to spread the worship of God to others in the earth. This is his mission. Look at chapter 10, verse 9. And God needs to be worshipped the way he is called. Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds. For we must Hold a feast to the Lord. That's how he had called them to worship. Verse 10, and this is Pharaoh's response in chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. This is sarcastic or maybe even using the Lord's name in vain. He says, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's so he wants to keep the, the kids from worshiping with them. It, it could be he wants to hold them hostage so that their dads will return. could also be he's not sure if they're going to return, so he wants a future slave labor force. But whatever it is, this worship was not negotiable for Pharaoh. And this worship was not just for some. Worship is not just for men. It's for Women, it's for children, it's for little ones, it's for boys and girls like, like Jesus welcomed and wanted to be among those who praised him. And you kids who are here, you have an important part in the, in the church. You who are young, it is important for you to worship as well. And, and you can have a part in the mission and even be missionaries. I remember 
Erin Plaxton, when she was, I think, about five years old, felt called to serve the Lord in some way in a, in a foreign field. And she, she met with Pastor Dale at that time, before I was here, and, and wanted to talk about how she might serve the Lord. And then when I was here, I got to help counsel her as she went and spent a couple years overseas serving the Lord. But we think of Seth Johnston, who grew up here, also had that desire as a young age of some of you kids here in this room. Uh, some of you have gone on short-term missions as well, whether to Mexico or different parts of the world, and this is, this is an important thing. There's more of this generation that are needed to, to bring the gospel to the world, and I'm praying that some sitting in this room, young or old, will be a part of extending that mission to this world that so greatly needs it. And I want to encourage you to keep praying for those kids you saw in the video last week, that they can travel if God would open the door they're still needing the document he's he spent several days trying to get it that they would be able to come to America with DDA uh, we need to keep praying for that but we're this month we're doing an offering for compassion for Congo why are we in California doing an offering for children and churches in Congo it's it's a part of what God said here in in Exodus that his name needs to be proclaimed to all the earth and to all people's children and and churches, that they would worship the Lord. And so this is why Alan and Amanda and Charlene and, and maybe Ron are at Ponte Palmero right now, while Alan probably at this moment is sharing the gospel there. It's why Sean's going to go to the Placerville Pines and others who are going to be witnessing this month. It's, it's, it's a part of this mission that begins in the first part of the Bible. We need to proclaim his name to all. And, and to, to those who maybe others aren't going to, especially to, to, to go to them, to bring the message to them, that, that they matter to the Lord. They're not forgotten to the Lord, no matter what age or stage of life they are. This is why Mike and Becky do their jail ministry as well. This is why others and many of you are involved in, in wanting to share with people you know. Even this month, it's why Cliff and Sue went to the Dominican Republic recently to minister God's grace through the churches there to those who are disabled. It's why my parents are going to go to the Philippines, Lord willing, in February. It's why we have those invitation cards at the kiosk that Corey mentioned there for you to grab some of those and to invite people to worship, to our worship services this month. We need to proclaim his name, not just to the nations, but to our neighborhoods. And it's for God's worship to spread. We, we're not just content to be here in, in this place. We want others to, to join us and join other gospel-proclaiming places for the joy of all peoples in Christ. Let the nations be glad and, and let us be spreading this good news. So I want you to think about what you can do to pursue the mission this month and to invite others to Worship. Let's love our neighbors and invite them to join our worship. But there's something else we need, and that's the second point. The mission depends on sovereign mercy. I want you to turn to Romans 9. I want you to see how the New Testament applies this. We've talked before about mercy Mercy is defined as not getting what we what deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. When I say sovereign mercy, I mean God is over that. God chooses who gets mercy and who gets what he deserves. And remember, Moses deserved death too. Remember in chapter 4, first of all, when God calls Moses, he's, he's not very cooperative, but there was a sin in his life that, that should have brought his death apart. He had not circumcised his son, and there was a penalty to be cut off for that. Moses deserved death, and in Exodus 4, God was about to give him what he deserved, but there was an intervention by his wife, and God mercifully spared Moses. And remember, it wasn't Moses' choice to seek God. Moses' choice was to flee God. He's as far away from God's people as he can be when God comes after him, God shows him, God rescued him, and God would use him to rescue his people. But the, the question comes up, is it, is it fair, is it just that he doesn't choose all? For example, that he did this with Israel and, and not with the rest of 
the world. Well, Romans 9.14 is talking about Israel. And he, he now moves in Romans 9.14 to say, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. That's what sovereign mercy means. It's basically that statement. God says that he's going to choose to have mercy on who he will. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. But on God, it depends on God who has mercy. Some of the translations you may have say, God's choice does not depend on a person's will. We can't choose it. And he goes on in verse 17, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, and now he's going to quote Exodus 9, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, here's the conclusion, he has Mercy, God has mercy on whomever he wills, God wills. And he hardens whomever he wills. And Paul understands the context from Exodus 9. He's quoting from the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But we need to remember when we're talking about mercy, mercy is not getting what is deserved. You might say, what, what's fair is, is what we deserve. And that's God's punishment. Pharaoh got what he deserved. Pharaoh got what was fair in that sense. Israel, though, did not get what they deserved. Israel got mercy. And the context here of Romans 9-11 is the, where Israel came from. And we don't have time to go through all this, but it's God's election before the birth, when he's Got Isaac and Jacob and sons of the descendants of Abraham before they had chosen, before they could do or choose anything. Look at second half of verse eleven, Romans nine, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. In other words, not because of what we do or choose, but because of God's calling. And he's mentioned God's calling before. Look at chapter eight, verse thirty, just back a a little bit on the page, chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's, there's no one lost along the way in this golden chain. In fact, he says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the good news of this truth that, that, that nothing can separate us. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And the answer is no one and, and nothing. If you're his elect, if you're his predestined, if he's, you're his called here, you won't be lost. Praise the Lord for that. But people still ask, well, was it, was it just that Pharaoh was lost if God hardened him? And we can ask the question a, a different way. Was Pharaoh a good guy wanting to do the right thing? Was he seeking God? And then God just won't let him. He says, nope, you want to do the right thing and I'm going to harden you. Romans 3.11 is already answered. There is no one who is good, not even one. There is, Romans 3.11, no one who seeks God in our natural state. That's the problem. We're not seeking God if Romans 3.11 is true. We need God to come and seek us and rescue us from our sinful choices. And you might wonder, well, isn't there an excuse then? If, if God hardened him, and, and Paul in Romans 9 has already written Romans 1, where he t- says this, men, as men suppress the truth, he says, they are without excuse. And, and you can read Romans 1 where it says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart. It's a sobering truth there. As men suppress the truth. They're without excuse. And there comes a point where God gives them over. And I think we can see that in a nation. I think we can see that happening in our nation in many ways. But Pharaoh is really the classic example of inexcusable suppressing truth. 
and being given over to the sinful desires in his heart. God's not the author of evil. God doesn't create sin in man. But this is a judicial hardening. This, in fact, the language of hardening sometimes is the word for strengthening. Heart being strengthened or, or made heavy. He's strengthening the, the sin that already was in him so that Pharaoh will get justice. And so that God's purpose and glory is going to be on display as he defeats his enemy that had been killing his children. Pharaoh gets justice. And that actually shouldn't be that hard to understand. I think a, a hard question, if we're really understanding this truth rightly, is why do some get mercy? It would be fair for all to be judged as their sins deserve. The hard truth is there is reprobation. God does judge by hardening. And there's a warning to sinners. But we need to ask that hard question. We need to ponder that. Why has God been merciful to me? It's not because I'm better. It should it should humble us to know it's not because we're better. But there's also good news here as we proclaim the good news. It doesn't ultimately depend on our persuasiveness. It depends on God's graciousness, undeserved graciousness that can change hearts. Sovereign mercy is choosing not to give what is deserved to all. Our job isn't to figure that out or, or who ultimately will be saved. Our job is to freely share from a heart for the lost and believing and trusting that God will save some. And so that's where Romans 10 goes after Romans 9. Look at Romans 10, verse 1. If we understand rightly, we're tracking with Paul. Romans 10, 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. These are his own people who we knew. This needs to be our heart and desire. But then verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So with God's sovereignty, we have man's responsibility. And we're called to its faith that comes by hearing, as he says here. And hearing by the word, this is the means through which God, through his spirit, opens blind eyes and can even take away the hard heart of stone by his sovereign mercy. And so his sovereignty doesn't make evangelism unnecessary. It makes evangelism effective. And we've got to believe, like Paul, who wrote this, kept ministering in difficult places with much opposition, believing that God had his people even in that city. So we need to believe that as well, that God is working to save among all peoples. And he uses us in his mysterious purposes of providence, which takes us to our third point. The mission is to proclaim his name. Exodus 9, verse 16 again. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, give the gospel always and sometimes use words. That's not from the Bible. The Bible, when it uses the word proclaim, it's talking about using words. And this is something we're called to do in the New Testament, to use our words. Paul's praying that I might open my mouth, that I might declare the, the mystery of Christ, that I would be bold and speak as I ought to speak. That needs to be our prayer as well. Even this month with those you work with and, and, and those you, you live with and family members, to, to be bold. Pray that you would open your mouth to, to try to speak in some way of the things of the Lord. I hear some people say, you know, I just... I just try to live it with my life. And, and you should seek to live it with your life, but this call to proclaim means using your lips as well. It's something you're saying out loud. You're praising his name. You're explaining his name to others. You're wanting to tell others. And, and his name means his nature, who he is. And so when you think of proclaiming his name, don't, don't just think of missionaries that we 
send money to, like we're, we're sending a special offering to Congo this month. We sent a bunch of Christmas gifts to all our missionaries in October. It was wonderful giving many of you with many thousands of dollars that you guys sent. Praise the Lord for that giving. It's, it's wonderful how this church supports missionaries getting the gospel around the world, but, but we need to also think of the Christmas story and who God first comes to shepherds who, who were not professional missionaries. They, they were shepherds. They're the ones who go and get to announce the good news first. They actually hear the good news first. Think of Anna, who'd been a, a widow for 64 years, serving God day and night. She gets blessed to be the one to see the Messiah along with Simeon, who's about to die. And Anna says she's going around telling anyone who will listen and, and looking for the, the redemption of Jerusalem. She's telling it. She's proclaiming his name. So, so think of shepherds. Think of Anna. Think of Simeon. Think of people like us who are a part of this mission. But also think of parents and grandparents. Because look at chapter 10, verse 2, where, where God tells Moses, one of the reasons he's doing all this is that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. And this is something to go beyond the time here. I don't think Moses even had a grandson yet, but this is for God's people, that this is something we need to do with those stories from from Bible times, these true stories. We need to tell them to our children. We need to tell them to our grandchildren. Tell them about the, the mighty God that we serve. Tell them how how powerful God's name was and how how, how foolish it was for those who resisted God's name. We need to help our kids see this. In fact, the New American Standard says, I made a mockery of the Egyptians, or literally, I made sport with them. I toyed with them. This is something, boys and, and girls, you need, to, you need to hear this. This is for you from this story here. You need to know that God was playing toys with Egypt. God was toying with Egypt. He's, he's showing them it, it's, it's foolish to disobey God. It, it's silly how Pharaoh thought that he could stop God's plan. Everything he does just blows up in his face. And it's ridiculous if you think you can stop God's plan. Or if you think God is not all-powerful, doesn't see all things. It, it is ridiculous to disobey God. God cannot be stopped. And also, we all need to know God cannot be mocked. God is not mocked. He will make a fool out of those who reap what they sow. And parents, grandparents, here, there's a word here for you. In fact, raise your hand if you're a parent or a grandparent. All right, so listen up. Speak. And teach these things to your kids, to your grandkids. Tell them about the mighty works of God. Tell them even some of the things that, that you've been seeing in, in Exodus. We have, we've been giving you discussion guides as well throughout the weeks. So there's also many helpful children's Bibles and devotionals for those of you that have little ones still at home. Our, our family's doing an Advent devotional right now when we can after after dinners, those are all good things to do, but it's also good to, and I've been trying to do this more with my kids, to try to talk with them one-on-one more of the things of the Lord and where they're at spiritually with the Lord. And some of you grandparents have good one-on-one time with your kids as well. And sometimes when you're in the trenches of parenting, you're not always able to, to spend the time that, that you are. There is a ministry for grandparents here in this passage it starts with fathers in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers are commanded, first and foremost, to help bring up their children in the, in the instruction of the Lord. Moms can help. Others can help. The church can help. Grandparents can help. But the mission starts at home. And then it should move out to the nations and next door as we seek to proclaim the name this Christmas and seek to, even with our kids, find ways that we can encourage our neighbors around us, or maybe a lonely person around us who can use some encouragement this Christmas. And we want to ultimately proclaim his name, as it says, which, which includes his nature. He is a holy God. He's a merciful God. In chapter 9, verse 15, right before it, talks about proclaiming his name. Chapter 9, 
Verse 15 gives an example where God's hand could and should strike down sinners. He could cut off their life if he didn't delay justice. And really, as you read this, you might wonder, why hasn't Pharaoh already been cut off? God says, I could have, and really, in essence, I should have. But there's a warning in verse 17. If you keep exalting yourself, like Pharaoh did, if you keep being prideful and resisting correction, there's a warning Instead of humbling yourself, there's judgment coming. There's even consequences in this life when we are prideful, even as believers. There's a day of judgment coming in verse 18 for all who ultimately continue to reject. But there's mercy offered. Like verse 19, and, and the, the mercy is really for the first time. All the other plagues before, first six plagues, there's no mercy offered. But here, it's if you'll listen to my word, God says, if you'll get your your, those who work for you, if you'll get your animals out of the field into shelter, they won't be killed. A lot of them just didn't listen. They just left their, their workers, they left their animals out in the field, and they were all struck down. But some of the servants of Pharaoh, they probably didn't tell Pharaoh they were going to do this, but they went out from Pharaoh, and, and they're like, let's, let's get our animals in. And their animals were spared. They feared the Lord at least on that level. And some are going to fear him more and come to faith later. But the image there is coming under a shelter so that they won't perish as they fear they're, they're spared. And Zephaniah, the prophet, applies that with this language, Zephaniah 2, 3. Seek humility and you will be sheltered on the day of God's anger. So that same image applies. If we seek and pursue humility, there is shelter from God's anger. Revelation He's going to talk about end times, fire raining down, worse than this in, in Exodus. Eternal fire and destruction awaits those who continue to refuse the gospel. But, but even in this life and until the end, we read that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. So God is always continually opposed to those who are proud, but he gives, he gives grace. To the humble, and so it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. As you read about this mighty hand in Exodus, humble yourself. Where in your life are you refusing to humble yourself? Where are you not being humble? Where are you being prideful? Don't miss this as you see God's mighty hand. You confess your sins, as the New Testament calls us to. And to sinners who have not yet trusted Christ, we're to... We're to proclaim his name. We're to proclaim there is only one name under heaven given among which men must be saved. And it's the name of Jesus. It's only Jesus who can save and shelter his people. In fact, that's the language of Revelation 7. He will shelter his people. Jesus is our shelter in the time of storm. Amen. And humble believers in Christ are delivered from Judgment, But sinners here, if you continue to keep exalting yourself and, and refusing the conviction of God's spirit to deal with your pride, there is a day of judgment coming. And for those who continue stubbornly, there is hell, fire, and brimstone that awaits. The question of Exodus 10 verse 3 should be ringing in our ears as well. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God, how long? How long are you going to keep holding on to that sin? How long are you going to continue to be stubborn before God? And, and just like there is false religion, there is false repentance. And there's a warning for us in chapter 9, verse 27, when Pharaoh tells Moses, I've sinned this time. I'm in the wrong. The Lord is in the right. That sounds pretty good. That's honestly better than many churchgoers. There's a lot of churchgoers who can't remember the last time, or maybe think about when was the last time you said, I have sinned, I'm wrong, the Lord is in the right. That's better than a lot of professing Christians will do. I know some in families, you don't hear hardly ever any statement like that, I was wrong, that was wrong of me, I've sinned. By the way, if you never say that to your spouse or family, you're worse than Pharaoh. You need to see if your heart even has grace in it. 
because that's one of the signs of a hard heart. But even a hard heart can say the right things because of consequences it wants to get rid of. It just wants to get rid of the consequences or how it's feeling, and you can still have an unregenerate heart and say some of those things. A heart that stays hard, like verse 34 of chapter one or chapter nine. I remember it. 9/11. Those of you that were alive, September 2011, you may remember people who only seemed to use God's name in vain before are now praying to God. Some of them showed up at church the next Sunday or for a while. But it was short-lived. There's a lot of people that seem to ignore God most of the time, but a crisis comes, difficulty comes. And maybe when things get bad, then they call the minister. I've seen that many times. People who have stopped being around God's people. Well, look at after the locust, chapter 10, verse 16. Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron. He's calling the ministers. And said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. This is an even deeper confession now. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please. That's also sounding pretty good. Only this once. And plead with the Lord, your God, to only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. His heart's not regenerate. He's not truly repentant here. But it's a pretty good admission of sin, actually. He's admitted it's against the Lord. It's against you. And he says, please, Forgive. Again, that's what a lot of churchgoers don't even do this, and we need to not just confess vaguely, I haven't been the best, whatever, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with this, I'm stressed. No, we need to confess that I've sinned against God, I've, I've sinned against you. Will you please forgive me for that? Don't make any excuses. So this is actually, on one level, better than what many do, but notice some of the things he says just this one time, just this once, and then this is what I want you to ask God for. Only ask him to remove this plague from me. That's, that's all he really ultimately wants is just to get rid of this. But God, again, mercifully responds to the intervention and the intercession of Moses. And what's interesting is even as he does that, there's a warning. He drives those locusts. I had never noticed this till this week. He drives all those locusts, there could have been billions of them, into the Red Sea. All of them get driven into the Red Sea. So they die, they're drowned in the Red Sea. And Pharaoh wouldn't have picked up on that yet, but that's what's going to happen to him. His whole army is going to be drowned in the Red Sea. So there's a warning here. And Pharaoh's a warning of how God can judge in hardening. In fact, Romans 10, 2, verse 5 says, If you have a hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In Hebrews 3, talks about Israel after the exodus, and it applies it this way. Exhort one another day after day as long as it is called today so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We all need to be exhorting and encouraging one another. There's people right here and and not too far from you who are going to be tempted if they're not already to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need to keep exhorting them. You need to keep speaking God's truth to them. Seek to speak encouragement to them and come alongside them and and help them to make sure. I I sense your heart is becoming hard and bitter. I want to pray for you. I want to help you. Can Can we encourage and exhort one another? As long as it's called today, there's an urgency Today, not tomorrow. Today, do not harden your hearts. And so, friends, if you're hearing the voice, if today you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon on Exodus 9. 
The title was Yield to God's Word or Be Broken by His Hand. And he said this of preaching the gospel, There is doubtless many here that have long resisted. They've long enjoyed gracious counsels and warnings. They've been told of their peril, where they are before the Lord. They've had the infinitely gracious offers and invitations of Christ standing at the door, but they've not been moved. Some of you have refused to yield to the power of God's word, and and, and you're far from it this day. Instead of complying, you are instead taking no care. You're going to just go on in your ways of sin. Your heart is, is getting harder. You've had the word. You've had the commands. You've had the warnings. You've had the offers of grace longer than Pharaoh, he says. You've had more light than Pharaoh did, vastly greater. There's no comparison and God's love and his invitations, his glorious invitations, and even the, the, the dying Christ and, and the risen Lord, all of that is evidence that he is still being gracious and merciful to you today. So today, as you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden yourself. It is foolish to harden your heart against God or to think you can still live in your sin. God is love and he is also wrath and that's that's a close quote but i'm gonna close by quoting jesus where he says come unto me he says repent and believe in the gospel he can give you a new heart he can do that today but don't exalt yourself you need to exalt your savior by grace through faith how long will you put that off how long will you harden and not humble your heart. We sing about it this time of year. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Does your heart enthrone him? That the king of kings who salvation brings. Look to that humble savior. That lowly manger. Where the humble Christ was born. The one who brought us salvation that Christmas morn. And then look to the cross where he suffered what he didn't deserve, so that in mercy you don't get what your sins deserve. Look to the empty tomb where he conquered death for all who believe in him. That's what this season is all about. And to us who claim his name, let's proclaim his name. Let's go and tell it on the mountain or in the foothills or up the hill or down the hill or everywhere. Amen. Man, let's pray for God's help to do that. Our great and gracious God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I want to pray for any here who have not yet humbled their hearts before you. Lord, I pray this today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray that you would help us all to to open our mouths to to see who we can speak to, who we can share with, who we can even invite to join our worship. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Emmanuel. Amen.